Lisette Rios, one of the most influential Latinas in the public relations industry. After 15 years of working at global PR agencies with major brand clients, including Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Nintendo, General Motors, and others, she founded Chick Influence, her very own PR and talent management agency. Prior to founding her own company, she left the corporate world as a senior vice president of a global PR firm. Her agency is the complete opposite of how corporate America trained her. As a bilingual, bicultural expert, she combines two markets, the so-called general market and the U.S. Hispanic market. Beyond her professional career, what inspires me the most about Lisette is that she's an avid runner who has conquered the 2019 New York City Marathon and just completed the 2021 Chicago Marathon. We talk about creating a business plan, her productivity hacks to get everything done and still have a work-life balance, and how she negotiated a salary increase after realizing she was severely underpaid. So, Lisi, I want to start in your college days. You were running your family business, you were helping out, and when you first got to college, you were just like, I have better things to do than just listen to professors who are giving me PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. So you negotiated something with the professors. <laughs> Tell me about that. As you mentioned, like raised in a family business. So I had been working my whole life. Like literally what people do not understand is that as early as I can remember, as like early as age five, I've been working. So under, for me, I already understood business. I understood so many things that people learn much later in life. So when I got to college, you know, I was already working full time. At that point, my mom and I had an invitation store. I need to be overly stimulated. I'm a very visual person. I'm very hands-on. So if, when I got to a class and the teacher was just regurgitating information from a slide, I would just zone out. And for me, in my head, I'm like, I have better things to do than just to be in this class. I could be working at the business and I could be making more money. I could be helping my mom. I can be pushing out more orders and then I can do my homework and learn this on my spare time. So after I went to like a few classes and I realized that the teacher's style was just not conducive to how I learned, I just made a very proactive choice. And this really only happened, like, let's say in the time span of four years in college, I did this probably like four or five classes where I would just go to the teacher and be like, look, I am a great student. Obviously my grades show it. I don't, I can't learn like this. So if you're just going to teach from slides, give me the syllabus, give me the entire curriculum. I will study it on my own and I will show up on test days and I promise you that I will get an A, but don't hold me accountable for not showing up because how you're teaching, I can teach myself. And I think when at first, like two of my teachers were like horrified, <laughs> like my mom never really noticed like that I was missing class because like they were very involved, have always been very involved in my life even now. But like when it came to things like college, they're like, you're, that's on you. Like you're going to have to apply to college yourself. You're going to have to do the process yourself because like, my mom like never really finished college and my dad didn't go to college. So like that world was very new to them. So like they didn't know my schedule unless I told them what my schedule was. All they cared about is that I got my degree and that like I got good grades and I did all of that, but I negotiated throughout. And that's just always been my personality. I negotiate everything. What is one negotiation that you're super proud of? 
before I started my business, I worked in corporate America for a very long time and I was a high level executive. But with time, I realized that I was severely underpaid. And at first I couldn't believe it because I was just like, I just felt so grateful to be a vice president, right? I was a vice president at 29 years old. That is unheard of in like global agency structures. So for example, I was part of this conglomerate and I was moving from one agency to another um, within the same kind of mother company. And what happened was, is that when I got hired as a vice president, I was at the time an account supervisor at a different agency. So I essentially skipped two titles. What should have happened was astronomical financial growth. But because I was at the account supervisor pay level, the company had a policy in place that said that nobody could get a financial increase of more than $20,000 at one shot. So that stunted my growth because my pay was supposed to be at the industry standard of vice president should have been like 115 to $120,000. I was capped at 95. And because of that policy, and I kept pushing back. And I'm like, you guys, if you would have pulled someone outside of the company, you would have had to pay this six figures. Why am I being held to this standard if I'm bringing to the table exactly what you want? And now like you're saving money. That's like, totally unfair. And they're like, oh, but that's the policy. That's the policy. That's the policy. And at that point, you know, I'm 29 years old and I'm like, whatever. Like I just saw it. I was like, I just want the title increase, but also in the long term, that affects your opportunity with your pay raises. But then came the point where I was going from vice president to senior vice president. And that is a very different pay structure. We have to talk numbers with each other because we don't know what we're able to make if we don't share our salaries. And so luckily, another friend of mine within the company was very transparent with me. And she told me how much she made at my same level. And I was making $30,000 less than her. I was working tooth and nail. I was making this company millions and millions of dollars. My husband is my mentor and he's an entrepreneur and he's been an entrepreneur much longer than I have been. One thing that I really appreciate about how men do business And I do think as women, us leading with emotions is our biggest blessing, but sometimes it's the one thing that holds us back because we just want to say, oh, but we work so hard. We deserve this. And my husband's like, everybody works hard. What makes you different? And he's like, nobody can ever counter negotiate facts. And these were the facts. My, my counterpart at the same level was making exponentially more than I was. The fact was, is that I had the most profitable like PNL center with the leanest team. The fact was, is that I grew my division literally like a hundred percent year over year. There was so many facts. So when I just like put on my big, you know, my big girl panties and I literally said, if I don't get an increase and I told this to my boss, obviously in a very professional manner, I wasn't like just coming like, if you don't increase me by $35,000 by Wednesday, I'm out. Like it wasn't like that, but it sort of was where it was just like, we need to have a conversation. This was my list. This is everything I bring to the table that you cannot argue with. And if I don't get an increase by X amount, I will be handing you my resignation letter. And I was adamant about that. I meant it. And I did not have a plan for what that meant after. I just really believed that they would understand. I gave them a week to find like $35,000. And guess what? They did. 
and magically, 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 it was terrifying for me. I'm not going to lie. As, as strong as I look on the inside, I was like, oh my God, I'm about to open Pandora's box. Because at that moment, I knew also if I resigned, that meant leaving a team that I had built under me. And that team had left jobs for their faith in me to be able to provide them an opportunity. So when I make those decisions, I don't just think about myself. I think about the implications of what that move meant when I told, you know, these five people to come work for me and leave their other secure jobs. But it was very empowering for me to have that conversation and have that conversation from a place of facts. And that was a huge learning opportunity that still carries over to me today where it's like, we need to strip away emotion when it comes to business specifically. A lot of the times we don't realize that when we are working in these corporations, yes, you may have a big title, but you can only grow so much and you can only earn so much versus when you have your own business, you get out of it what you put into it. Absolutely. And I always caveat this because I know there is this beautiful allure to owning your own business, but it's also incredibly terrifying. And it does take a very certain kind of personality to like want to excel as an entrepreneur. But what you said is something that always really left a mark on me in terms of the opportunities are limitless when you do have your own business. When I was kind of toying back and forth, my husband's like, you know, I think you should go on your own. You're working so hard. You can just do this for yourself and make more money. But then it's, of course, you're, you're kind of like brainwashed from corporate. It's like, no, but I need the network. I need, I need the system. And then I was actually talking to one of my clients that I still have to this day, her husband. He asked me a set of questions that left the impact. And he was just like, what scares you about, you know, leaving and having your own business? And I was like, well, for me, it's, it's the financial aspect of it, right? Because I don't ever want to be a burden to my husband. He was like, well, he's like, you know that you can show up to your job today and get laid off tomorrow. He's like, so there's no security in corporate. And I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then the next thing that he made me realize, and he's like, he's like, you know, there's actually more security with you being out on your own because he's like, you can wake up and have 10 ideas and you can execute those 10 ideas. And if you put in the work out of those 10 ideas, you might be able to make money off of three of them. But it's also not that easy because you also have to realize, like, for example, I'm in a service-based industry that is a non-tangible product, right? So it's like it's not like I'm like, here's this iPhone and I'm going to sell it to you for $1,000 and we call it a day, right? I'm charging like an X amount over a month to hopefully get you potentially X number of results. I started off doing PR for people. Because when I left my old job, I technically wasn't allowed to even start a PR agency. It was against my contract. But I was able to work around it. And I said, look, I'm not going to work for products. I was given like, as we ca I call them handcuffs. Um, I was given handcuffs that I can only do PR for people. And then after one year, I can offer it up to products. And then we're doing the PR for people is what led me to start unofficially doing talent deals. Because I was like, wait, I know how much brands charge for hiring talent like you, because I was on the brand side allocating, why don't I get you deals? And if something comes in, I'll take a percentage. And then that happened. And then the handcuffs came off. And then I started working with brands. And then I was like, okay, I think my passion is small indie brands. It gives me more freedom, more access. I'm going to go that route. And then the route of like talent management opens up very serendipitously where people started coming to me. 
So now it's like, I'm just continuing to follow the money because our industry is changing at a very rapid pace. Um, so it's part passion, but it's also understanding finances, like at a very high level. Time is money. But one thing that I've come to learn is that time is more valuable than money because you're never going to get time back through your blog, which I encourage everyone to read because that way you can learn more and get into the mind of this amazing woman. You mentioned that time for you is valuable and that you have a set of productivity hacks that you use in order to make sure that you're using your time correctly in order to perform and in order to get the financial results that you want to get. Can you break down some of those productivity hacks for us? Coming from the corporate space, I had to unlearn unproductive habits to relearn new habits. There's a few kind of things that I have in place with my life so that it allows me to get everything done. Because one of the things I always get asked is like, how the heck do you do all of this with such a small team? So one thing is that I limit, I very much limit meetings and calls. I was already limiting it pre-pandemic and I limit it now even more because nobody has my to-do list, right? The access to me is not because I think I'm great. It's just like, I have a lot of things that I need to do to order to be done at a reasonable time. I am, I don't believe in like the, you know, burn yourself out, work 25 hours, you know, if we had 25 hours a day. So what I do is I take very little meetings and I limit all calls to Tuesdays and Thursdays if possible. So for example, on Tuesdays are just like my non-productive days. Because in my head, I'm like, if you're going to waste, if anyone's going to waste my time, I'd rather all of my time be wasted in one day so that it allows me four more days to be completely unbothered, right? And people are like, oh, you can do that because you're an entrepreneur. No, anyone can do this because guess what? Nobody knows what your schedule is unless you confess it, right? So for example, all of my client calls or any calls I try to load on Tuesdays, then if I have to have a call, on any other day, I'm available Wednesday and Friday between 2 and 6 p.m. And why? Because the morning time, I realize, is my peak productivity time. The mornings are when I, my brain is so clear that I can pump out the most amount of papers and read through contracts. So for me, nobody, nobody's going to bother me between the hours of 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Unless like it is something that absolutely cannot wait. And then on Mondays, I pretty much have no calls and I keep it that way. And I tell my clients, I'm like, do you pay me to get on a call or do you pay me to produce? And when they, and then they're like, yeah, I pay you to produce. Okay, great. Then let me, let me work. And the hardest part for me too, because especially in our industry, pre-pandemic was very events heavy, was I just don't go out. And I know that sounds crazy and very antisocial, but I really don't go out unless I know that that meeting or that touch point is going to be a return on investment because my time is my commodity, right? So like maybe other people's, you know, is financial. No, my time, like there needs to be a return on investment on my time that I invest on anything. So that's, that's how I see it. You mentioned your husband a few times already. And I, I've met other women who their partners have become very influential in their lives in a in a very positive way. When you're dating someone, how do you gouge whether or not this partner is going to help you grow or if this person is is 
not someone that you should probably be with in the future. Oh gosh, I am no dating expert at all. I'm just more of like in general, like a vibe person. Um, but obviously my husband, we've been together for nine years. So it's been a very long time. Um, oh my God, I get so awkward. I never talk about him by choice. I know that I'm very driven. So I expect the person that I'm with to also be super driven. And he is that. He's leagues ahead of me. So not only do I, I love him, I admire him. I, he's on a pedestal to me. I'm just like, I'm always just trying to catch up to him. Even before I started uh, dating my husband, I even told my mom, like, don't get excited. I'm never getting married. Like, it's, I, it's not because like, I felt sad for myself. It was the opposite. I just always felt like I did not need a man. Like, I was just always very confident, very secure in myself, secure in my abilities that I can bring what I want to the table for myself. And that if anyone were to come into my life, it's because we're going to enhance it together, but not because I need him. It's because I want him. And that's like a very different mindset. So for me, I have always been very happy. Even before I got married, I was very happy being single. I loved being single but then you meet someone that challenges you, levels you up. And for me, I appreciate him because he holds me accountable. But he also holds a mirror up to me and reminds me that I'm capable. For me, I was just happy being single because I was just like, every man is just like a waste of time. Like, I, I can't. I can't. Like, if you're not going to, like, be running at my pace, then just get off the track. Right. And it also takes like a very unique kind of person to not just be with an entrepreneur because seeing him while I was still in corporate was, was very hard because uh, I did not understand his mindset until I was in his shoes. I always look at a relationship as like, you have to find your equal. And it's not about one person clinging on to the other. It's about two people choosing each other versus to a person meeting. I love that. It sounds like you both complement each other really well. And that what you said, you're both helping each other grow and become better people, which at the end of the day is what a relationship should look like. There was a point in your life and your career where you felt comfortable and where you felt like you were bored because you've gotten to a point where you didn't see more growth for yourself. So you decided to just move to New York and become uncomfortable and just start all over again. So can you tell me a little bit about why you literally force yourself into uncomfortable situations in order to just like let your best self shine? It was both for professional and personal reasons why I wanted to leave. Um, one, I think we can all understand as like Latinas were, you know, our families were just like close units. And I feel like Cubans take that to like another level. Um, so it's like, you know, I was born into a family business. I was working at the family business my whole life. Um, I did not have like a regular childhood. Like if I had free time, it was to go to the family business. I didn't have that many friends. And then I wanted to go away to college and that wasn't allowed. Right. Like I tried to like, I literally applied to like UF and FSU and like my mom's like, I can't believe you. You're not going. Um, you're going to go to FIU. It's literally three miles away. So that way you can work and go to go to college. I needed to figure out myself without having what I called the surround sound, because obviously when you're on your family, they're very influential. And I just wanted to grow for myself and also the other part. And I, and I know that I'm very, very fortunate is that like, I never paid anything for anything in my life. 
Like I, I did never pay bills until I moved to New York. I was 25 years old and I started paying bills, but I was reckless. I did not know what it meant to pay for anything. And I was just like, this is not the real world where everything is just handed to you. I really appreciate my grandparents is that like, even though I had really, really nice things all the time growing up, like they always made me realize that like those things don't come unless you work. So while my generation, my family are the recipients of nice things, it came on the backs of my parents and my grandparents. I wanted to go to New York just to be myself, to be reckless, to to know what it's like to live on your own with nobody telling me what to do, right? And just be loca, you know? Like I never got a chance to do that because I lived with my parents until I was 25. And also to help me realize the value truly of a dollar. I remember six months, it's like gonna make me cry. I remember like six months into living on my own, I like called my parents and I called them crying. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've ever done for me in my life because I did not know how expensive it is to have a human, right? I did not know. And I'm like, you guys just paid for everything in my entire life. Like, why did you do that? We're expensive. And I was just so grateful because I needed to learn that because I was very spoiled and I demanded. And I always tell like everyone, I'm like, the person that you see in New York now is not like the same person. I was like a monster. I would like expect designer bags for everything. I expected you know, things. And that's not okay. That's so, that's so much entitlement. That's why now it's like, I love shopping cheap. I love going to Target. I'm like, heck yeah, I can look fly for like $20. Right. But that was a, that was a huge moment for me where it's like, I appreciated myself and recognizing that I was flawed enough to make myself change. And, and then of course the professional growth, I would have never experienced the growth in Miami that I I've had here in New York. No, you had me teary eyed and everything. I want to pick up on, on something that you said, and it's that we often never realize how much hard work our parents put into just creating a path for us. For sure. No, absolutely. I mean, even trying to move to New York was like a battle. It's like, but why, why, why do you have to go there? Like in their mind, it's like, you know, I get it. They left Cuba for, you know, because of the revolution. So they go come to Miami, a country with the language that they don't know. They replant their lives in America. So of course you come to America, you make your life and that you make your life in such a hard manner, right? This is true for anyone who comes to this country with nothing and not knowing the language and to restart your life. So I understand my, my parents' mentality. It's like, you have everything you need right now. Why, why are you pushing it? And I was just like, because I want more. Because I know that I'm capable for more. When I got the job to VP, I was like, this is why I moved to New York. I would have not have ever to be a 29-year-old vice president in Miami. That would, that would have never happened. That would have never happened. 11 years later that I've been living here and six years with my business, they get it now. Even compared to my grandparents, I have access to so much more than they did. So there is no reason why I am not accomplishing more. 
I know the language. I am college educated. I'm able to like weave in and out of different groups. And I understand my own culture, but American culture. So there is no reason why I shouldn't be propelling even further than them. You talked about leaving your BP job. I'm sure you had to have a plan. And two, who were the first conversations that you started having? And who were those people who were the first supporters of your idea? I plan for everything. I just never speak my plans out loud until like I'm, I'm done. They're fully set. It happened literally from one day to the next. They were just like, oh my God, you just came up with this. Like, and I was like, no, there is, there was a lot of planning. There was a lot of sleepless nights. So from the minute that I decided, okay, I'm going to start the process to like have a business. It was, you know, I did like a checklist. And so I was still working my job. And then at night I would go home and be like, okay, this is my checklist. I need to figure out a name. I need to figure out a logo. I need to get the domain. I need to actually file for the LLC and all these things take months. Also, like I need to create the business plan because I, I needed to figure out how am I, okay, how are all the ways that I'm going to make money? And then also I needed to do a capabilities deck because what I wanted to people to make sure is that I wasn't just going on on my own. I was creating a business, an agency. I wasn't a freelancer, a contractor, because words do matter when you go out on your own, because people are like, oh, that's so cute. Like she's a consultant. It's like, no, I'm not a consultant. This is my business. And this is our capabilities deck. And even though I was a party of one, when you would talk to me about Chic Influence, I always said, we, I never said I. So I created the plan. And then I created like my target clients of who can I go after first, knowing the restrictions that I had. So what I did is that I created the whole plan, the pricing structure, all of that literally took six months. And also too, I needed time to save money. I gave myself a date. I was like, this is the date that I am quitting. If you don't give yourself a date, then it's never going to happen. And then the people that I went after first were people that I, I knew that I trusted and they, they trusted me. And then I could be like, hey, I really think that you, I could offer you some services. And at that moment, they happened to be people that I was working with at my job. And they were the spokespeople for the brand. By the time I quit, I had three clients. So by that point, I know for six months, my next six months were financially secure. But then I also had a six-month cushion. My last day away, I believe, was like June 20th. On June 21st, the announcement was out. And people were like, oh my God, what happened? And I was like, here's the logo, here's the name, here's the website, and here are my three clients. And then I just went to bat where I was like, I was working for my clients, but then I was in new business mode. So I was like, pitch, 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 pitch. So that's kind of how it was. It's not like a one day to the next thing. It was very calculated and like very planned out. I'm a very conservative in gen- like with about my steps, especially when it comes to my finances where I want everything thought through. I was very choiceful because once people put you in that solo entrepreneur category, it's like very hard to get out of it. Now, of course, seeing all the success that you've had with Chick Influence, I want to talk about two things. First, hiring your team. I'm sure you're very selective with the people that you hire to be part of the company. And two, selecting your clients. So when it comes to hiring people, it's kind of twofold. I usually wait till like I'm about to explode before I make a hire 
right? And that hire has to literally like just be able to alleviate, right? That's the point of having a team because the way that I always think about it is like, what is the best use of my time? The best use of my time is bringing in deals and bringing in clients. When I went to grow the business, I never intended to do talent management. The way that it happened was very kind of serendipitous. And then I met Kehlani, who is Viva Glam K, and she told, told me how much she was charging. I was like, girl, you could literally be charging 10 times that amount. And she's like, that's crazy. Nobody would ever pay me that. And I was like, no, you just, you just need to ask for it. So then I realized I was like, okay, I will informally help you. Because at that point I was like, do I really want to be a manager? Like, you know, I feel like there's like this like negative connotation. And also it's a very involved role. We are like literally professional babysitters. Not that like anyone needs babysitting. In Kehlani's example, when she got pregnant, we sold it to Clearblue. Like I need to know everything because everything is sellable right and it's very involved and also i needed to make sure that like my name was also on the line because i was opening up my brand contacts and if you can't meet deadlines i don't want to represent you like but Kehlani's like literally an angel and she's like amazing and she's still you know we still rep her like five years later so then what ended up happening is that people loved working with us but not everyone could afford her because she has such a huge audience so they're like okay they're like i want to work with you but like i don't always have Kehlani budget. So I was like, okay, I need to figure out a way to have like a roster that not only has something that everyone brings something different to the table, but everyone has different numbers. But I'm like, I can't do this by myself. So at that point, um, Ori, who's my senior manager now, she came to me and she's like, I'm interested. And it happened like very serendipitously. She's like, she emailed me for one other thing. And then she was like, oh, by the way, I see you like do talent management. Like, are you open to like, having me come on board. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, I don't really have the money to hire someone because I was at that moment just repping Kehlani and that's not enough to hire someone. But I'm like, but I'm willing to kind of show you the ropes. And if you want to help out, I can figure out a role for you later. You know, now we are growing. We just hired a talent relations assistant. We have a waiting list of talent that want to come on board. There's no like rule book to how I operate. But I do say no to a lot of business because it's like a vibe check. Like if if the chemistry is not there, like I don't want to work with you because also I've learned that like my peace of mind and my tranquility is like invaluable. I need to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that I did the best that I could for my clients and that my clients are not driving me crazy. Um, or holding me to an unrealistic standard. One thing that you mentioned is having work-life balance. So I want to talk about running for a little bit. What has running meant to you? Oh my God, it's like literally given me such a different perspective. I know it doesn't sound like so cheesy, but like not on life, but like what I am capable for, capable to do, and just also makes me so grateful for my health every single day and it's very centering and it's just made me like a much more like aware person because I feel like when you're in tune with yourself and with your body also I think a big reason why I really gravitate towards running is that it gives me a moment away from technology I love long runs the longer the better and it just allows me to like connect I know it sounds so cheesy but with like New York I just feel completely free when I'm running like you know like I love it I'm like just just leave me alone like this is my time I don't know about you but I used to hate running with Same. all my life with all my life I just didn't find it joyful 
when was it for you that you said oh running could be like my thing was there ever a time where you said like okay i don't hate it as much as i thought that i did at that moment when i started running like in 2017 i started to feel comfortable so i was like what can i do to like make me feel uncomfortable and the new york city marathon where i used to live in harlem literally ran right in front of our apartment so when you see it every year it is like the most inspiring thing to see and I saw a blind man running with his guide at the marathon. And for me, that was such a turning moment where I was just like, I really need to reframe my thinking about running. So I called my brother, he's a runner. And I'm like, sign me up for a marathon. And he's like, slow your roll. You're starting with a half marathon first. And I'm like, okay. So I like found, uh, it was like the shape woman's half. I signed up for it. I trained it. I trained for it on my own. And once I went on like my first like four mile run and I felt the runners high, I was like, what is this? I want this all the time now. Like it literally feels like you're high. It's like, you have to get into like this flow. And then I realized like, oh my God, this is like meditation. It's given me peace of mind, but it's made me truly honor and respect my body. You finished the New York City Marathon, which is in my list of <laughs> to-dos in life. And now you're prepping for the Chicago one happening in October. Can you tell me a little bit about how you sort of plan around that? And what about the marathon made you want it again? Because I feel like a lot of people just do one marathon and they're just like never doing that again. The allure of the marathon is not the marathon itself, but the journey it takes to get there. And it does take a lot of planning. And I think it was a beautiful exercise and a reminder for me that whatever you want in life, it is possible. You just have to put the proper steps in place because the training journey, it forces discipline on you. And I think after the locura of last year, I just wanted structure. But I knew when I was going to do a marathon, I cannot train for a marathon by myself. And my brother made it very clear. He's like, a lot of things happen to your body and you're going to need people there, especially on the runs that are beyond 14 miles. Like you need someone next to you so that if you're cramping, um, if you're vomiting, if you're peeing on yourself, if you're about to poop yourself, like literally all these things have happened to me. Like you need someone there to coach you through it. The thing about a marathon is like, It shows you commitment, it forces you to restructure and it forces you to put priorities in place. Because for example, I remember when I first started the training process, I was creating all these excuses as to why I would not be able to sustain a five day a week training schedule. I'm like, I'm so busy, I have a business. I, I No, I got humbled in two seconds. And my coach is like, wow, that's, that's such a cute story. Like. You see that guy, he owns a business too. And guess what? He travels every single week. And guess what? He runs five days out of the week. And wherever he goes, he plans his running routes. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And I was like, yeah, but nobody understands my schedule. I'm so busy. Here comes one of my friends that now that I admire. She's like, I have four kids. I'm here. And I'm just like, so that's why like, it literally, it's, it holds a mirror to your face. And it's like, there is literally no excuse for anything. So yeah, I feel like running also makes you like a can do like you can do anything, but it's also very, when you cross that finish line on a marathon, you're like, what the heck? Like mm -hmm. you're on a high for like three weeks. Is there something that you have yet to achieve something that you have 
you haven't tried yet and you want to do in your life? Um, there's a lot of goals, obviously, personally, like the ability to have a family. That's something that I'm like super excited about. Um, and, you know, something that like I can't wait for. And then I think professionally is seeing how far I can take my business, but I also have other business ideas. Now, can I do them right now? Probably not. Then we have our own personal goals too, where it's like, you know, real estate and like really building wealth for our community. And I think that's super important because, you know, we have a lot of hundreds of years to catch up to a lot of our counterparts that have, you know, hundreds of years of generational wealth to their advantage that we don't have. So For me, it's a lot. It's not just running. It's not just my business. And it's not just like my marriage and family. It's just like a lot of things that each of those buckets has its own little goals. And I'm, I'm just like trying to feed into all of it as well. Lizzie, if you could tell your future self one thing, what would that be? Don't be so hard on yourself. I beat myself up every single day. I just, I can't shut it off. So I think that's one of the things I'm learning from in the past year and I'm, I'm in therapy, I'm very open about it. Is that like, I just, I overanalyze everything. So I just want future self and past self to just be a little bit more kind. Just take it easy. At the end of the day, everything's going to work out. And if it doesn't, you learn from it, move on. Who cares? So yeah. <laughs> Beyond your work and, you know, all the success that you've had, how do you want to be remembered? I think ultimately just as like somebody who deeply cared, you know, for me, like the accolades and, you know, even these interviews, I love talking to people like you. And I know there's always this cachet of like, oh, she's doing an interview, but it's not so much about that. It's just like, I want, I want women. I want every woman to feel what I feel. I just want to be like a vessel for women to see that anything you want in life is possible. You can do it. You can do it. I, I just want to be remembered as someone who gave and gave selfless, selflessly. I just want to give back everything that I know as much as possible so that women can feel empowered to, to live their life on their accord. Because I know even as a Latina, even within my own family structure, I go against the grain. You know, I was the first one to leave Miami. I was, you know, did not follow the timeline of like, you meet someone, you get married, you know, me telling my mom, like, I'm never going to get married. You know, like I've always gone against the grain because I believe that it's my life that I'm living. I don't want other people's expectations of me to guide the decisions I make because I have to live with my decisions. Yeah. I just want to be remembered as like someone who, who just cared deeply, nothing else. Like none of the other titles matter. Here are my top takeaways from our conversation. Number one, the reason you want more is because you are capable of more. Say that out loud. I am capable of more. So don't belittle your ambitions or ideas. Take it step by step and get it done. Number two, take a moment today to thank the people that have led you to where you are. That could be your friend, a mentor, a family member. We are the result of the people that we surround ourselves with. Number three, lead with the facts. Take emotion out of your business or money conversations. When you negotiate, show them the data points that prove why you should get what you're asking for. 
Thank you so much for listening. Gracias, mi gente. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. That's so helpful and exciting to us. If you learned something from this episode, share it with a friend. I'm sure they'll enjoy it as well. We drop new episodes every single Monday morning, but you can always find us on Instagram at El ADN Podcast. And before you leave, we want to hear your takeaways from today's guest. Share with us via Instagram stories and don't forget to tag El ADN Podcast and Victoria Leandra for a regram. See you next week. Hasta la próxima, familia.